0: I came up to one home some years ago and said, beware the pit bull. That really sensitized me. Now don't tell me about your pit bull, how he's like a sweet little poodle. Maybe he is, but most of them I don't see that way. But listen, when you come up to a house and it says, beware the wolf, I mean, I guarantee you would be extra careful. And so Jesus is trying to sensitize us because he knows that such people exist.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study in the Revelation, and last week Dr. Brogy took a little departure from chapter 22, where we'd been, to present a message entitled, Is Your Conversion Real? This message is intended to prepare us for the final verses of our Revelation study, And as we pick up, Pastor Carl is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter seven, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the passage dealing with the broad and narrow roads.
0: Very often as you truly, genuinely identify with Jesus, you will be rejected. The King James calls it the straight and narrow way. And the multitudes here that are on the broad road, they're carefree, they think everything is fine, and they give no thought for the fact that they're headed for an eternal precipice that once they have crossed that line, they will never be able to cross back over. And so the narrow road is a road where people have changed their mind. Now we might ask a question, why is the gate so narrow and why are there so few people who are on it? And the answer is very simple. The small gate, the constricted gate as we might render it, is so straight that there's no room for any kind of deviation. It has boundaries. Why? Because truth is not something you make up. It's something you discover. It is something that God has revealed in his holy, infallible word. There's no room for a self-righteous lifestyle. There's no room for selfish ambition. There's no room for a person who's not willing to renounce their sin because until you're willing to change your mind about sin... Metanoia, metano, the verb and the noun means to change your mind. We render it repent. Unless you are willing to repent, you'll perish. And I say willing, not able, willing. People make sometimes repentance a work. It is not a work. The one who sins is a slave to sin. But you must be willing to change your mind about sin, call what God calls evil, evil, or you have no need for a genuine Savior. Savior. And when you enter this narrow road, it's like entering a turnstile into a stadium, only one at a time, because only you can make that decision. Your parents cannot make it for you. You're not a Christian because your grandparents are. Each one of us must make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. Now, you see, the people who are on this road have discovered that they have a need for a kind of righteousness that they can never, ever earn. The key verse in the whole sermon found here in Matthew 5 through 7 is Matthew 5 and verse 20. Jesus said, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees had a righteousness that was outward. They were the most religious people of the day. Three different times during every day of the week, they went to the temple, they prayed for an hour, they fasted two days out of seven, they gave a tenth of all that they had. It was a righteousness that was only outward. But it never touched the heart. And God wants us to understand that the kind of righteousness we need is so high, you cannot achieve it on your own. The truth is, as Jeremiah 17 in verse 9 brings out, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? People say, well, I just follow the inclinations of my heart. I just follow my conscience. Your conscience can be seared. It can become callous. It can become an unreliable guide. And so people who are on the narrow way recognize they need a different kind of righteousness that comes from a birth from above. Jesus said it this way, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. He'll say a few verses later, he cannot answer the kingdom of God. If you want to see God's kingdom, perceive it, understand it with spiritual eyes. You need a birth from above because a natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. If you want to enter God's kingdom, if you want to see the inside of heaven, you must be born from above. That's the only option. It's a narrow option, but that's the nature of truth. People say to me on occasion, Pastor Brogy, you are just so narrow-minded. I actually take that as a compliment because that's what Jesus is speaking about. Jesus was a very narrow-minded person when he asked us to come through the narrow gate. But if you're God in human flesh, you can be narrow-minded because everything that you say is absolute truth. And if you are a Christian and believe what the Lord Jesus said, then you must be narrow-minded. You see, the broad road is a well-traveled road. It is a crowded road because it's a deceptive road. Twice over, Solomon says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is why God said in Jeremiah 21, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Jesus put it this way in his narrow-minded way in John 14, 6. I am the way. And of course, when he said, I am the way, he made every other way a dead-end street. He said, I am the truth. And when he said that, he made every other system a lie. And when he said, I am the life, he made every other way a way to death. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's narrow. Now listen, there is a lot of people today who want to broaden the straight and narrow, but the Lord Jesus did not preach that way, and neither will I. And if that bothers you, don't take it up with me. Take it up with God. Say, God, when you wrote John fourteen six, you were obviously misinformed. But I wouldn't say that to God, certainly not before you've examined the unique nature of the Bible for this is the only book with historical evidences behind it. You know, the Book of Mormon, they're always searching for all these places and all these uh, different geographical locations that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon and they can't find one. But the museums of this world are filled with all the historical evidences mentioned in the Bible, and it is the only book with fulfilled prophecy lending its authority. So the Bible is a narrow book, but it can be a narrow book because it is the Word of God. But knowing that God wants people to be saved, notice also there on your outline, there is an exhortation to enter the narrow way. And I know there are people... Who don't like pastors who say, Well, this is the way it is, walk ye in. But listen, they're not consistent. When I got on an airplane yesterday, I wanted my airline pilot to be narrow minded. You tell that pilot he is right for letting down the landing gear, I want him to let it down. Yet these same people, you know, they, they want their pharmacist to be narrow minded, they want him to dispense the right prescription. They want their cardiologists to be narrow-minded. Doctors, stick to the heart. Don't mess with my kidneys. Don't mess with my lungs. Yet somehow, while they want a narrow-minded person in all these other disciplines, when it comes to the most essential discipline of life, where you will spend eternity, it doesn't matter. Believe whatever you want to believe. As long as you believe something, it doesn't make any difference. So here in verse 13, Jesus invites us to enter by the narrow gate, why? Because there's a decision that you must make. Now as I look around this congregation, we all basically look the same. But understand, God doesn't look at outward appearances. God looks at the heart. Our tendency is to classify people horizontally. We speak of upper class and middle class and lower class. We speak of rich and poor, young and old, black and white and Asian, and we make all these horizontal classifications. But God always measures people vertically. In God's economy, there are only two classifications of people. Those who are on the broad road and those who are on the narrow road. Those who bear good fruit, those who bear bad fruit. Those who are good trees, those who are bad trees. Those who are wise men, those who are foolish men. Those who receive Christ, those who reject Christ. One who is on the road to heaven. The others who are on the road to destruction. You can't remain neutral. God calls you to make a choice. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12 and in verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. It's impossible to remain neutral. There is no middle road. Now, people don't like that. People want to be uncommitted, and so in virtually every survey you take, there's yes or there's no or there is undecided. People love to remain undecided, but to remain undecided is to have made a decision in God's economy. Look at verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Now, I think it's important that Christ does not have to say, enter the broad way. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Why doesn't he say, uh, why does Jesus simply say, enter by the narrow gate for the simple reason we're already on the broad road. We're already living on the broad road that leads to destruction. Why? Because by nature, by choice, by decision, by lifestyle, we are sinners. We're condemned already, to use Jesus' words in John 3, 18. We're already born under the judgment of God. In Ephesians 2, by nature, we are children of wrath. So God's desire is not that men should perish, but that men might be saved. And so Jesus, in expressing his purpose for coming to earth, said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So to recapitulate here for a moment, there's just two ways. There's a broad way, there's a narrow way. There's two gates, the wide gate and the small gate. There are two groups, many And few, and there are two destinies destruction and life. There's no third alternative. And we live in a day where people resent the necessity of making a choice, but there is a decision to make. That's the first truth I want to underscore from this sermon. Secondly, there's another lesson I want to see from Christ's teaching, and that is not only is there a decision to make, there is a deception. To avoid. So in verses 15 through 20, Christ gives a warning against false prophets whose ministry it is to keep people from the small and narrow gate. Notice the warning that he begins with in verse 15 Beware of the false prophets. On the Blitz last year, I came up to a home and it said, beware of the dog. What does that do to you? Well, it kind of sensitizes you. I came up to one home some years ago, it said, beware the pit bull. That really sensitized me. Now don't tell me about your pit bull, how he's like a sweet little poodle. Maybe he is, but most of them I don't see that way. But listen, when you come up to a house and it says, beware of the wolf, I mean, I guarantee you would be extra careful and so Jesus is trying to sensitize us because he knows that such people exist. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that that period of time preceding the second coming of Christ to earth, not only will it be characterized by the worldwide spread of the gospel, but there will be a rise of false prophets. And so Jesus is saying, Beware of the wolf. And of course, the fact that Jesus can say, beware, assumes that there is an absolute standard of truth, that not everything can be believed, not everything is relative. His implication is that a true preacher of God will be consistent with this book, and a false preacher will not. Now, I want you to notice there are two truths that Christ tells us about these false prophets. First, he tells us something about the fleece that they wear, the fleece that they wear. In verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, in Israel, the wolf to this day is still the natural enemy of the sheep. And since sheep are defenseless against wolves, a good shepherd is to protect his sheep from the ravenous, hungry, bloodthirsty wolves. And so earlier in John chapter 10, earlier in his ministry, Jesus tells us that a good shepherd will always be on the lookout for a wolf. Whereas the hired gun, the hireling, the hired laborer, he won't care about the sheep. And of course, when Jesus again says, beware the false prophets, once again, there is an assumption that there is a standard of objective truth in which you can discern the error of a false teacher. And so Jesus is not like one of those religious liberals of our day where under the guise of tolerance, they can say, well, everyone's view ought to be embraced. Jesus believed that truth could be distinguished from error. Otherwise, his whole notion of a false prophet is meaningless. Now, you may not agree with what the Lord Jesus said, but I just want you to know what he plainly taught. People today talk about the religious right and the liberal left. It's not a matter of right and left. It's a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of absolute truth. And this verse indicates that false teachers are both dangerous and they are destructive. Notice he said they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen to your pastor this morning. Satan is the master of deception. When you read the book of Jude, a book that deals with apostasy, Jude warns us that false teachers just don't walk into a pulpit or false believers into the church and say, I'm a false teacher. I'm not a real believer. No, they come in quietly. They come in unnoticed. They come in deceptively. They come, Jesus said, as wolves in sheep's clothing. So when the United Church of Christ said the acceptance of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender lifestyle is an historic moment in the life of our church, you are hearing the voice of a wolf in sheep's clothing when just a few years ago, the Presbyterian Church USA voted to, quote, change its definition of marriage and allow its pastors to officiate same-sex ceremonies. Now that gay marriage is legal, you are listening to the voice of a wolf in sheep's clothing. It may be legal in man's eyes like abortion, but it's not in God's eyes. And three weeks ago, when the United Methodist Church and their bishops and leaders met together. They said, well, we no longer should be one denomination, but we need, because of the controversy over LGBT clergy and members in same-sex weddings, they said, and I quote their proposal was, the best means to resolve our differences, allowing each part of the church to remain true to its theological understanding while recognizing the dignity, equality, integrity, and respect of every person. They said, look, we, 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 can, we can have this denomination. We just need to be understanding that there's two different ways of looking at this. And they argue that this is the Bible conclusion, that this is the way we show love. This is the way we preserve unity. Listen, truth and unity go together. You cannot separate them. Unity has boundaries. Christ doesn't call every professing Christian to be unified. He calls true born-again believers to be unified based on what he has revealed in this book. And so they are like sheep in wolf's clothing. They are twisting the Bible, trying to make the Broadway even broader because Satan is a purveyor of lies, and those who serve him never come in and say, I am a liar, I am a wolf. No, they come in as teachers of truth, and the theologically naive will quickly embrace what they say. They may come under high-sounding titles, reverend this, the most reverend that, the pope this... They may come with all kinds of degrees and letters after their name. They may come with a kind of charisma and a kind of charming personality that quickly wins people. But God is warning us that they are nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing when they go against the clear standard of Scripture and the untaught and the naive And those who lack discernment can quickly embrace their false teaching. Now, in addition to the fleece that they wear, I want us also to consider the fruit that they bear, the fruit that they bear. How do I recognize a false prophet when I see one? Christ tells us twice over in this passage by the fruit that they bear. And so Jesus no longer speaks about animals. He speaks of trees. Look, if you will, now at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? And the implied answer is, of course not. And so while in the first example, a wolf can disguise himself, a tree cannot harmful weeds like thorns and thistles cannot produce edible fruit like grapes and figs. And so here in verses 17 and 18, Jesus is calling us to be discerning. Notice, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. If good Fruit is produced, then it is a healthy tree. If bad fruit is produced, it is an unhealthy tree. In either case, a tree cannot produce contrary to its nature. And so in verse 19, Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what a farmer does with a bad tree, and that's what God Almighty will do at the day of judgment with all the lost people of this world. And so for emphasis, Jesus repeats himself, and he draws a conclusion in verse 20. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Now, of course, the application of the fruit test is not always as simple and as straightforward as you might think. Fruit takes time to grow. Fruit takes time to mature. And sometimes we can have a new Christian or an immature believer whose fruit is not all that impressive. We have to wait patiently for the fruit to develop. And even as it does, we need to examine it quite closely. From a distance, a tree might look healthy. But as you get up close and you examine the truth, you might find the wormhole or the presence of disease or, or some kind of unhealthy aspect to the fruit. And so Jesus wants us to carefully examine what a teacher may say it's not a super superficial observation of his teaching you need to sometimes look very closely because he can use the language of historic christianity with a different different, a different dictionary to define the words so what are these fruits so that we can detect false prophets and beware of them. Let me suggest two from Scripture, because remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. And repeatedly throughout the Tanakh, God will often underscore that a person's doctrine and a person's fruit are interchangeably connected to one another. In fact, go forward a few pages to Matthew chapter 12 for just a moment. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. And on another occasion, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And I want you to look at, if you will now, verse 13. Jesus said there, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Then he says in verse 35, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good and the evil man out of his evil treasure what is evil. Now notice carefully verses 36 and 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you are justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now the Pharisees were the teachers of the day, and their mouths were filled with false teaching, and so they condemned themselves. Christ's point is clear. A man's heart is revealed by his words. And so just as a tree is known by its fruit, even so a teacher is known by his teaching. And one of the common traits of a false teacher is that he has an amoral optimism. And you see this underscored over and over and over again. He paints the love of God and the mercy of God and the tolerance of God, but he never mentions the justice of God and the wrath of God and the condemnation that sin brings. The prophet Jeremiah said this in his day in Jeremiah the 23rd chapter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. And of course, such false teaching was a tremendous disservice to the Jewish people in Jeremiah's day because it developed a false sense of security that they were okay. And it lulled them to sleep in their sin. And there is a failure on the part of a false teacher to warn people that judgment is real. God is love, but he is a consuming fire. And someday he is coming to indeed deal with sin and to judge it. So I don't think it's accidental that as Jesus speaks here of false prophets here in the Sermon on the Mount, that he is speaking of it in the context of two gates, and two ways, and two crowds, and two destinations. And one of the things that false prophets do also is they tend to blur the way of salvation, in fact, they almost create a middle road, a non committal road. You don't really have to decide. You can hold on to your sin. You can hold on to your own way. You can follow the inclinations of your heart. You can be the master of your own fate. And then you have some liberals who would dare to even contradict the plain teaching of Holy Scripture. It doesn't matter what road you're on as long as you're on some road, because in the end, they argue it all leads to heaven. And I want to tell you, it is essential that every born-again, blood-bought child of God mature in their faith, and that has to happen through expository teaching. That is the only way you can ground people, and all of this nonsense and psychobabble and love languages and all these personality tests and everything else, critical race theory and intersectionality and all these outside tools we are bringing into the church go against the clear teaching of Scripture and it will never help you to mature and get grounded in your faith. You cannot be a mature Christian. You cannot claim you are grown up and lack discernment. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Concerning him, speaking of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. This is why, by the way, it is absolutely essential that when men are chosen to lead the church as elders, that they are spiritually mature men, well-grounded in healthy doctrine. Then he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You cannot claim to be a mature Christian and lack biblical and theological discernment because a mature Christian is a discerning Christian.
1: Tomorrow, we'll conclude our message titled, Is Your Conversion Real? If you'd like to listen to it again in its entirety or would like to listen to any other messages from this or any of our other series, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. And today's program is number REV68. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Tomorrow, the conclusion of Is Your Conversion Real? Join us then as we search the Scriptures.